Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen continues a series called What is Going On? where we read the entire Bible in a year. In part two of the pastoral epistles, Paul also writes a letter to Titus about what makes for a healthy church and leader. Like last week, we'll give some background and then discuss the five charges that Paul gives Titus. After the message and throughout the week, read the letter to Titus. Also, check out nwhills.com hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. Val is a hero, for sure. Yeah, I've had, I've had the opportunity to go over there a couple times and spend time with Val and Waffle, and um, man, my heart is with you guys. I love that um, we're not just a church that has ideas about how to love the, the world, but we have people who are doing it, and you've been doing it for a long time, and yeah, thank you. You are well-loved, and man, you got a mansion in heaven with a lot of kids up there, so <laughs> it's cool. Um, if you don't know the status of hero uh, that Val is, um, she has an Adventures and Odyssey after her. So if you know what that means, you know you are super awesome. And if you don't know what that means, you didn't grow up in a Christian home in the 80s. So uh, that's all right. <laughs> you're, you're famous in like my world. Like, oh, that's so cool. Um, okay, I have way too much to cover. Um, so let's go. Let's go. If you get a Bible, let's go to the book of Titus. Uh, if, you, if you don't have one, there's a black one somewhere near you. Uh, we're going to be in page, I think it's 998, somewhere right in there. And um, I also, I just need to say, man, thank you, church, this last week. My, my family and I moved in town, and man, so many people came to help us. And thank you, like, multiple times my wife is just crying, loving how loved we are. Um, and so if you were part of that, a huge thank you. Uh, I cannot name names, but you guys know who you are. Thank you. Um, that was awesome. So while we're, we're turning there, we're in a series uh, this year that uh, we've been uh, titling, What is Going On? It's, it's a question that we ask ourselves all the time, uh, particularly in a world right now where it feels like there are some things that should be straightforward, easy to understand, and yet it seems like we're living in the upside down. It seems like there's so many things where you're going, this seems straightforward, but it's not what's going on. Um, and that can be in a wide uh, range of different applications, right? And we, we talk about how that can happen within our own homes, in our relationships, uh, in our friendships, in our lack of friendships. Uh, it can happen uh, in church. And I talked about last week, we were doing communion. If you are not used to church, communion is a very weird thing that would cause you to wonder what's going on. And, and just church itself is, is strange. And I know this because at least once a month, uh, there will be people who will visit who have no idea how to compliment um, a sermon, and they will talk to me afterwards, and they will say, um, good job at, and they don't know what to say. They're like, at that speech thing that you did, or something like that, like at your TED Talk, um, you, you're a, you, you taught well, and you're like, yeah, it's called preaching a sermon, and that's strange language if you didn't grow up in church. And so, again, there's, there's so many of these different what's going on questions. And throughout this year, we're trying to go through the entire Bible, one book a week, answering the big question of who is God and what is he doing through all this what's going on, because it can be a little disillusioning in the world right now, but God has something to say about it all. 
Um, he has been teaching us who he is and, and the fact that we don't have to wonder, is God in control? Is he doing anything? What's my part to play? And so uh, every week as we open up a different book, we're being revealed more and more about the nature of who God is, about the nature of mankind. And so as we're going through the text, as we're reading about who God is, we can kind of get a better picture for where we are and why we are where we are. And, and it's actually really comforting. It's comforting to know that we're not going through anything new. Right? There is nothing new under the sun that no matter how strange something may feel in this moment, we can look back and, and say, oh yeah, yeah, they went through that as well, and so did they, and so did they, and God was never surprised. Right? He's with us, he knows what he's doing. And so um, every week we're at a different book. This week we're in the book of Titus. We're going to do something today that we have not done in this series yet, and we are going to um, go uh, kind of a part two from last week. So if you were here last week, uh, you, you know that we were in First and Second Timothy. We we're doing kind of a double book, uh, and we started the pastoral epistles. There's a three-book little section that about 200 years ago, people decided, let's call this the pastoral epistles, primarily because it's three little books written at the very end of Paul's life, written to pastors, written to church leaders, written to kind of the waffles of the world, the pastor of pastors. And so um, we started this little uh, mini-series, if you will, kind of asking the big question of uh, what makes for a healthy church and what makes for a healthy leader in a church, as these books were written to very specific leaders of churches. And we looked at five different charges of what makes for a healthy church, and today we're going to carry that on. And I got five more. I've got way less time than last week, and that's okay. Uh, we'll get done what the Lord wants us to get done today, and I am totally okay with that. But we've got five different charges from Paul to Timothy, or not Timothy, I knew I'd do that a bunch this week, from Paul to Titus uh, in this little section. So I'm going to give us a little bit of background, again, who Paul is, the relationship of him and Titus, and then we're going to look at five charges that Paul gives to Titus. So Paul, man, I'm just going to summarize real quick. Paul was someone who was adamantly against early Christianity. Um, he was a devout Jew, loved God, did not believe Jesus was God, right? And so that's a major problem. He's trying to stop the early spreading of Christianity. He's devoting his life to this very passionate guy, and Jesus comes back from heaven to save him, right? We talked about how funny that was last week, that Jesus was like, oh, I got to go back one more time. There's someone else I need to capture their attention. And so Jesus does that. He saves Paul, and Paul then changes his life 180, and he gives everything to the Lord. And, he, and we learn about this whole story of his in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see Paul go on three different missionary journeys. He's traveling thousands of miles, many, many years, planting at least 14 different churches. Uh, and on this journey, eventually towards the end, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, he's arrested. He knows it's coming. Uh, he's sent up to Rome. He's under house arrest. And he writes a bunch of these epistles, a bunch of letters to churches. Uh, and then the book of Acts ends, right? At Acts 28, by the time the thing's done, uh, we're left at a bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens to Paul from the biblical text. He's uh, awaiting trial and that's, and it ends and we don't know, but then you go outside of the Bible and we understand a little bit more about what happens and, and Paul's actually released, right? So he's released and he goes on one more missionary journey. I said this last week, most likely he went to Spain because he wanted to, uh, or he talked about in Romans 15, Hey, my heart is to go here. I want to spread the gospel West so most likely he goes to Spain, and on this fourth missionary journey, he writes two letters, the first of which we read last week in 1 Timothy, and Titus is the second letter that he wrote. So he writes this letter as a free man, 
Uh, it's the second to last letter that Paul writes in his life. And you remember last week, the last letter he wrote is uh, he was arrested again, taken up to Rome again. Uh, that's when he wrote Second Timothy And after that, he was killed, beheaded by Roman authorities. And so that's a little bit about who Paul was at the time. And um, who is Titus? Um, We don't know as much about Titus as we do about Timothy, primarily because the book of Acts is absolutely silent as to who Titus is. Um, But we do know a little bit about him. Obviously, there's a book named Titus, so they have to have some sort of relationship Um, If you were kind of reading and paying careful attention, you may have remembered that in the book of Galatians, Titus is mentioned as being with Paul, and in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul, uh, Titus was with Paul as well. Um, Last week, I talked about Timothy, and I talked about how uh, Paul and him had this kind of mentor-mentee type relationship. Um, Well, Titus had a similar relationship, but Titus played a little bit different role. Um, where Timothy was kind of this soft-spoken, kind of kind, um, church, kind of father-like. Uh, I think Titus was uh, a little bit more of a man of strength, and he kind of went in and did a little bit of cleanup. Uh, when Timothy was sent to Corinth, apparently his efforts there uh, needed a little bit more help, and so Titus was sent as a bit of a backup to help him out. And so we, we know about that in church history. Um, in this particular book, in this particular setting, Uh, Titus was sent to the island of Crete. Uh, This is going to be important if you understand kind of geography. It would have been probably one of the first churches that were planted as people from the island of Crete, uh, Jews primarily, would have gone over to Pentecost, heard Peter preach, went back to the island, got saved. But it was a, a pretty wild island, if you will. Um, uh, even self-proclaimed in chapter one, you've get some, you get some description that it was kind of a Vegas-like setting. Um, there is a phrase in chapter one that's quoting an early Cretan that says, um, basically, our country is filled with liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Uh, a great place for a new church, right? And so... Um, so uh, there's churches that were planted. Paul was a part of that initial planting, and he sends Titus to basically be a pastor of pastors to these churches. Um, there was some turmoil going on in the churches. There was some uh, misunderstanding about theology. There was some poor leadership going on. And so think of Titus kind of like a, a denominational network leader going in, kind of uh, empowering, teaching, helping, encouraging Paul writes to him while he is on the island and says, hey, um, love what you're doing. Let me give you a little bit more encouragement. I'm going to send a few more people to join you. When those people come, you're free to come join me up. We're going to go head out to Eastern Europe. I want you to join me there. And later in scripture, we read that eventually Titus does make it up with Paul. Um, And so they have this very beautiful kind of co-laborer type of relationship um, that we that we see throughout Scripture that you kind of have to piece together. It's not all in one spot. You get a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, but again, think of Titus as a pastor of pastors, a leader of leaders. Um, in the broader question that we're answering today of what does it look like to be a good leader, uh, Paul has some things to say to Titus that you and I can learn from. So let's go. We'll go five maybe four or three. We'll see what happens. Let's go a few charges and let's stand. Let's go uh, verse one, chapter one. Let's open it up and talk about a good church and a good leader. All right, I'm going to read just a couple verses. When I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And we are going to say, thanks be to God. So this is Titus chapter one, verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, I'm jumping to verse 4, 
to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. Thank you. Um, a good church and a good leader uh, have a vision bigger than themselves. This is point number one. Uh, it can be easy in these pastoral epistles to kind of look through kind of all the lists of what Paul says makes for a good church. And, and there's a lot of things, and we're getting into it. Uh, he talks about, hey, here's the qualifications of what a healthy leader looks like, and here's what your home should look like, and here's what your character should look like, and, and here's what leadership would look like. And there's a lot of things that we can look at and say, yeah, like that's easy to measure. Uh, the, these are like important things. Uh, they're clarifying things. This is really good. But I, I think it's also good to step back sometime and look at the bigger picture of what is Paul and Titus actually doing? And you think about what Paul and Titus have done with their lives, and you think about the sacrifice that they've made, and Val, it makes me think of you, to be honest, and you, and you think about the fact that Paul and Titus, they're from somewhere, right? They have a hometown, right? They have childhood friends, but they catch a vision for what following Jesus looks like, and they dedicate the rest of their lives to traveling all over the Mediterranean to make Jesus known. And that is not easy, right? They're going to a place that is an absolutely different culture with a different language, um, with family that is far away. And this is pre-Skype. This is pre-Zoom. Man, that would be nice in some ways. Um, but the reality is like this is a massive effort to have a heart for a people who are different from you. Right? And to be a healthy church is to, to have a vision for what Jesus is doing in your city. Yes, we got to have an effort here, but we have to have an effort outside of our city as well. Right? And this extends not just to our church, but to us as individuals. And, and I think about our church and I think about what a healthy church is. A, a healthy church does have that broader perspective. Right, That broader perspective that says, man, we want to be a force in our city. We want to love people well in our city. We want to bring hope to our city. Right? We want to bring joy to our city. We want to bring truth to our city. But we also want to go where no one else is going. Right? We want to go to Karamoja where no one else is going. Right? We want to go to the big urban cities. We want to go to places like France and Dubai. We want to go all over the world. And, and we try to do our best to make an effort at doing that. Right, about 15% of our giving here goes directly to making Jesus known. Internationally, we've got about 10%, and then uh, about 5% of our budget goes directly to making Jesus known within the states as well, because we want to have a heart that's outside of what we're doing here. Right, even a, a couple years ago, we made a commitment as a church that every single year, myself and another GO team member would take a trip to visit some of these partners around the world to help us keep our eyes up to what God's doing around the globe and to be an encouragement to people on the ground because guess what? It's not easy out there, right? And so we want to join you. We want to visit you as much as we can and you know we're praying for you and I'm texting Waffle here and there and man, we are with you even though, let's be honest, you're doing a lot of work and man, a, a healthy church has a vision that's bigger than just our city, right? A, a healthy leader has a vision that's bigger than just their family, Right? It, it can be easy to be pretty um, navel-gazing at our own lives, if you will. Right? It can be easy to, to be all consumed with our friends and our careers and our vacations and our hobbies. And, 
And a good leader looks up a little bit and says, what are the needs that are around me? Right? Not just what are my needs, but what are the needs of those around me? And so, man, a, a challenge for us would be, are we living out the gospel beyond our own lives? Right? And some people, I, I know people will ask, well, I don't really know where to go, and I don't know what this looks like, and I don't know um, who needs help. And, I, and, you know, I try to spend time with my neighbor, but they're really weird, and I'm really weird, so this is hard. And I would just say, if, if that's you, and you're trying to figure out, how can I be an encouragement past my own little sphere? Start right here. Like, this is the easiest place to find people who are searching for the Lord. Right? Every single week, we have people coming in who, who aren't sure about what's going on. They're trying to figure out life. They're trying to figure out their faith. And, man, how easy would it be for us to be a church that's, man, hey, who are you? Welcome. And, and so many of you do that so well. And if you're just trying to figure out how I can do that, start right here. Point number two, a good church and a good leader have specific standards. Uh, last week, we talked about this a little bit um, in terms of elders and in terms of men and women and different places God has us serving and what this looks like. And, and there's another big section of that in Timothy. Uh, sorry, in Timothy, in Titus. I'm going to do that all day long. In Titus, um, I'm going to jump into a little section here of verse 9 of chapter 1. And then I'm going to expand it out a little bit and talk about ongoing standards for all kinds of leaders within a good church. So let's go to verse 9. It says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Paul tells Titus to have competent leaders and teachers. Um, so what do we do with this today? Um, in this context, yes, uh, Paul is talking about elders in particular. I, I understand that. But we kind of touched on that last week. And so I want to zoom out and, and talk about what does it look like to have competent leaders? And what does it look like in a, in a church to have healthy leaders? And, and how do we make those decisions about who can be a leader and, and what does a leader look like? You think about our church and on any typical given Sunday, we have somewhere between six and 800 people here. Um, and if uh, we are average, which on average, most people who go to church go between one and two times a month, that means we have well over a thousand people who regularly come here. Now, if that's the case, how do we make decisions about who gets to serve in youth ministry, right? How do we make decisions about who's going to lead a small group, right? How do we make decisions about who's going to help out in a closed closet and who's going to be a greeter and who's going to be a singer? Do, like, do we just arbitrarily say, well, if you ask, we'll say yes, right? Like that would be foolish, right? That would not be a good model for leadership. So we have a process around here. Uh, every church does it a little bit different. Our process is called membership, and we don't talk about it a whole lot. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit about it today because I think it's important. Uh, and it's an important way to align us in terms of vision and mission. And it's an important way to align us in terms of what we believe. Right? So in terms of membership, what we do at Northwest Hills is we have one class. It's super simple. Uh, and 80% of the content of that class is actually available online. It's a bunch of videos of, of our staff. And I think there's some elders in there saying, hey, here's who we are as a church. Here's some of the core things that we believe. Uh, we want you to be a member. And to be a member, uh, you got to believe these core things. And here's the things that we're going to say yes to as a church. And, and let's be honest, saying yes to a few things in a church is really hard because in order to do the things that we do, 
we have to say no to a thousand things. Right? You think about um, every single week, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, every week someone will come to me, they will call me, they will talk to me on Sunday, I will get an email, I will get a text, and they'll say, hey, can our church do this? Can our church join us in this ministry? And they're all great things, but we can't do it all. So we want to encourage people, man, if God's moving you in that direction, by all means, go do where God's calling you to serve. Like, go do that. But we just can't do everything all the time. Or every single Sunday, we'd line up 10 different people here before I preach, and each person would say, hey, join me in this team, and this team, and this team, and this team. And so membership is a way to align us in terms of this is what we feel like God has asked us to do, and this is what we're trying to do. Um, it's a way for us to have accountability with each other, for us to say, man, these are the core things that we believe in. And so, man, I guess I would just challenge you today, if you've been around for a while and, and you've never heard the term membership, first of all, sorry on us. Second of all, we would invite you to join us. Um, join us, and, and that's kind of our, our easy first layer of, can you teach somewhere? Can you lead somewhere? Yeah, if you're a member, because we want to be aligned on what we're teaching and what we believe now, as I said last week, everyone's welcome all the time to church, right? Like there, there's no way that we would ever, I guess COVID, we kind of did something like this, which is weird, but we would never like take your name and who are you and are you a member? Can you come to church? Like everyone's welcome to come to church, but not everyone's welcome to be in a position of leadership. Uh, and I don't say that with hostility. I say that with wisdom, like any good organization would do that. And so that's what we do around here. So I would just encourage you, if you're not a member, um, and we only have maybe 20%, 25% of people who regularly come are actually members. So I'd encourage you, be a member, because then you get the t-shirt, you get the secret handshake, and you get access to our basement lounge, which is super cool. <laughs> Keep it on the down low, members, I'm just saying. It's all the things. You wonder if I'm joking, you got to find out. <laughs> Let's go. Number three, a good church and a good leader has, a, has heart for sound doctrine. Um, let's go chapter two, verse one. Uh, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, um, if you are a pastor of pastors and, and you're Titus and you're Timothy and you're cruising around to different churches like Doctrine's really important. They're trying to uh, establish like who Jesus is. Uh, and in the island of Crete in particular, there was um, a lot of discrepancies about who was a believer and who wasn't. Um, there were a group of people who were calling themselves Christians when in fact they didn't actually believe that Jesus was God. And that's a problem, right? And, and so Paul's writing to say, hey, there, there actually is a standard for what it is to be a believer, um, and that standard is pretty straightforward even today. Do you believe that there is one um, infinite, all-powerful God, that Jesus Christ came as God to die on the cross for our sins because we needed that? We rebelled against him by our nature and by our choices, and God's death paid for that. We've been forgiven, and we have eternity with him. That's, that's like the basics of the gospel. Like, if you believe that you are a Christian— and he's trying to clarify some of these things. So he's saying doctrine's important. And I, I think today we also play a similar game with the who's a Christian and who's not. And I think it's really dangerous. And I actually think it's really frustrating. 
Um, I'll be honest, I, I see this a lot. Um, I think I understand why people do it, and I think that it's a major problem. I think we live in a day and age where culturally we're divided, primarily politically, but then you mix in the whole religious thing, and you get people on both sides. You get your conservatives and your progressives, and both sides who call themselves Christians are really good at pointing to the other side and saying, well, they're not really a Christian. Right, Because they voted that way and they think that way. And it happens on both sides equally. And I think at the core of it, what's really happening is I think that as Christians, we, we look at other people who, who we're embarrassed of, let's be honest, on both sides, and we don't want to be associated with them. And so we say things like, well, they're not really a Christian because Christians would be like me. Right? But the truth of the matter is, if you are a Christian, like, we should be embarrassed of ourselves. Right, Because the cross says that we needed the death of Christ. And so let's be slow to point fingers and to say who is and who isn't a Christian. And let's be quick to say, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you are a believer. And yeah, we can have different opinions about how we ought to run the world. But let's be really slow to make claims about who is and who isn't a son and daughter of the king. It's a good word. Uh, number four, I'm doing all right. A good church and a good leader has works that match their words. Um, this is all over the book of Titus. He talks a ton about works. Um, and when I say works, I'm, I'm meaning like things that we do and um, how we do them, our careers, uh, the fact that we actually work. Um, let's go. I'm going to jump around a bit. Let's go back to chapter one, verse 16. I'm just going to read a couple different sections here. So they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Chapter two, verse seven, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teachings, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Chapter 2, verse 14, be zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for good work. 3, verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Or there's nothing worse than a Christian who's really good at talking about their faith and who's really bad at living it out, right? But lest I say that person's not a believer... Because my last point, um, let's understand that as a believer, yeah, we're called to good works, right? And and that's not to say that we're saved by our works. Like Paul makes that explicitly clear in verse 4. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of our works um, done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, right? So we, we work hard for the Lord because he's merciful to us. Um, what's a mark of a good church and a good leader? Uh, A church who works hard because we're loved by God, right? A a church who's committed to our work, right? We think about our careers and we think about, man, there's so much time. And sometimes I think we incidentally on accident will kind of take our spiritual world over here. And this is our church world. And these are my church friends. And we take our career over here as if they're two separate things. And God says, absolutely not. These are the same thing. Right? The primary thing that most of us do with most of our time is we work. And God's calling us in our work. Work as if you are working, not for your boss, but for a bigger boss, the Lord. And so Christians ought to be the best employees ever. We ought to be the best bosses ever. Right? Like, because we are called to work for a bigger God. 
Right? The, uh, the late pastor and theologian Tim Keller, um, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, he quotes Dorothy Sayers, and he says this about work. What is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing that one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. Man, how, do we, how we work tells a story about how we're loved, right? If you work hard, it tells a story that I'm loved hard, that I'm loved well. And so we want to be a church and we want to be people who work well. Lastly, and we'll end it with this, uh, number five, a good church and a good leader have a compelling love for one another. Um, let's go, this is chapter 3, verse 12. This is the, the wrap-up. It's a short book. It's an easy read, 10 minutes this week. You got this. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me um, at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be ungrateful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, does this sound like the words of a corporate CEO consultant of someone who flies in and who's doing business and he's saying, church needs to look like this, it needs to look like this, it needs to look like this? No, absolutely not. Right? Here's his heart. He's like, hey, I, I know these people. I spent time with them and I love them dearly. Right? A, a good church has a compelling love for one another. I love, I love the season of life that we're in here at church and, and all the time people ask me about church right? Uh, mostly like people outside of our church, because you guys know how it is. Um, but people outside will say things like, man, pastor, tell me what, what's going on with church? How's it going? I hear good things. And, and the first thing I say every single time, and it's not like I have some like pocket answer. It's just what comes out of my heart is there are so many people that I love so well here, right? There are so many relationships. Like I love our staff team. I love our elders, I love my community group. I love the people that I get to greet and spend time with. And, and I think and I hope that that love is not just from me, but it's all over the place, right? That's what's so sweet about this season of ministry is that there is a lot of love going around. And man, a good church has a lot of love for each other because guess what? That love comes from God, that we are loved. And so I can love, right? Because that's what the basis of Christianity is. You think about who Paul was and you think about where he was coming from. Is he able to love because he had this great upbringing, a great family, a great marriage? I tell you what, that's not the case, right? Paul uh, is single at this point in his life. He may have been single his whole life. Most people believe Paul was actually married. Uh, he was part of the Sanhedrin, which was an exclusive group of Jewish leaders who in order to be a part of that club, you had to be married. Most people believe that his wife left him when he became a believer, Right? And so you want to talk about uh, like hurt from past relationships. Uh, he doesn't have a long time home that he's established with, yet he voraciously loves people. And it's not because he had this amazing uh, position from mom and dad and wife and kids. The guy is single, yet he's able to love unbelievably because he knows he has been loved. He knows who God is. He got to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that starts a culture. 
It starts a culture that says, man, I can't wait to see you. And, and when you're done over there, come join me up here and we're going to do life together. And, and I'm going to have you in my home and you're going to hang out with my kids and I'm going to watch your kids and I'm going to be with you at this party. And, and we're going to do things together because a church who knows how much they've been loved is a church that loves. And so as we wrap it up, man, my, my heart for you today would be that we would be this church, right? This church that has a vision bigger than ourselves, uh, a church that has a standard for its leaders that follow the Lord, a church that has a heart for sound doctrine, a church that's works match their word, and a church that loves each other unbelievably. And would you pray with me as the band comes on up? Father God, I, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for what you're doing, not just here, but around the world. Um, God, we look at a book um, that has a little bit more utility to it today in the book of Titus with a bit more instruction on some of the ins and outs of church governance. And God, we, we appreciate those things, and yet we also want to look a little bit beyond them as well to the heart of a God who loves people enough to send people around the world to this island of people who need to hear what's true. God, and I think about Val, and I think about Waffle, and I think about their effort there, and God, I, I thank you for that. And I think about um, all the different conversations that are happening within our homes here. And I think about the work that it takes to walk across the street sometimes or to walk across the office and to meet people where they are and to love people where they are and to show them that there is something bigger to this life than just the here and now, that you were created by someone who loves you. That there is a God who gives purpose to all of this chaos that when we're wondering what in the world is going on, that there's a God who says, no, 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 I, I got this. And I'm going to be with you through this. And I may not just make it easy. It's not my goal just to make everything easy, but it's my goal to be with you. And I got a future that's coming that's unbelievably bright. And I want you with me and I want to be with you. Jesus, may the love of God compel us this morning. Man, thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your beautiful name I pray, amen. Love you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.